Becoming a Fool for God, spoken by Pastor Peter Ahn and Pastor Sunita Ponton. Happy Easter, Metro! Happy Easter and welcome to Metro. This is our lead pastor, Peter On, lead pastor here at Metro Community Church. And I would be remiss if I didn't introduce Pastor Sunita Ponton. She is the pastor of the Justice, Advocacy, and Compassion Ministry. She's also... There's more. She's also the executive director of the Metro Community Center. And after Jesus, she is the one in the church. <laughs> How many of you in this room watched the movie, The Greatest Showman? Let me see a raise of hands here in this room. All right, maybe like a third of you. You guys are watching. It is such a powerful movie. In fact, it's probably one of the more powerful movies I've seen in recent times. And I know, Sunita, I kind of forced you to watch the movie. And you told me it was great, right? All right, so what was so great about the movie for you? I love that P.T. Barnum was so excited and he was ready to pursue his dreams at all costs. Right, he had this sense of grit about him. And if you don't know, this is a true story about the man of P.T. Barnum. And what he did was that he did something so unusual during the time in his life. He took a group of fools, people that the world would consider to be fools, and they were so marginalized that he took them and he brought them to the center. And that was so unusual during his day because fools with abnormalities, like the people that he decided to embrace, they never did something like that. And so as a result, as he gave them something that they've never experienced in their entire life, which was community, these abnormalities that these people had, when they were able to experience community, it really changed them from within. So much so that they were so confidently able to say and sing the anthem, the song that was just sung, This Is Me. By the way, let's give it up for Teresa Stanley who sang that beautiful song for us. If you don't know, Teresa actually sang on the original soundtrack for The Greatest Showman. She was at the Oscars singing the song, of course, with the crew there. She so graciously joined us and shared her art with us today. Thank you, Teresa, for doing that. But P.T. Barnum took a group of misfits, these people who the world would consider to be foolish. These people had to live in isolation because their abnormalities were so great that not only would they be embarrassed if they went out in public, but some of them feared for their lives because their abnormalities were so strange and so different. And as a result, he gave them something that they never experienced before, which was community. And as a result, they were able to sing that anthem, This Is Me, and they were able to say, it's, does, I don't care how much of a fool you think I am anymore. This is me. I'm brave. Yes, I've been bruised, but this is who God has called me to be. And so it's such a powerful song. It really inspired me as I saw that movie, and it was such a great thing. And so what P.T. Barnum did was so sweet and so special that eventually, as a result of all of this, you guys know this because you've been to it, what was born through all of this was Ringley Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Has anyone ever been to the circus before? That was a, that was a story of P.T. Barnum. And so as a result of that, he took people who the world considered to be fools and he actually brought them to the center. I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like a fool before? Have you ever felt like a fool? Pastor Sunita, I don't think you've probably felt like a fool in a while, all right? <laughs> With your Ivy League pedigree. She graduated from Dwight Morrow High School, this very building, all right? Any Dwight Morrow High School graduates here? But then she also, after she graduated, she went to a school called Columbia University. 
and she studied at an Ivy League school there. And then after she graduated, she decided to go to a little school like Harvard Law School, and she got her JD there. And while she was finishing up her last year in law school, God said, I want you to be a pastor. And so she decided to go south and attended Duke Theological Seminary. Clearly, you are a nerd, <laughs> all right? Clearly, you are so smart. Have you ever felt like a fool, Sunita? Yes, I definitely felt like a fool. So a couple of years ago, a friend of mine was having a 40th birthday, and it was a 90s-themed party. And he's really cool. You know, he's a nice guy. He likes to play cards, hang out, play, play music, dance. He knows every uh, Biggie rap lyric ever. Um, but he's also a corporate attorney. And this is important because he had this 90s-themed party, and he told us to dress up. But when we get to the party, me and two of my friends, he's dressed up, me and two of my friends are dressed up, um, but 75% of the people there are coming from work. And so we're in our 90s gear, big old hoop earrings, baggy <laughs> pants, like all this black lettering, and most of the people there look like Pastor Peter. <laughs> and the most foolish part of the night for me was when I'm trying to have a conversation with the senior vice president of one of the senior vice presidents at Morgan Stanley, and he's got on his suit and tie, and I've got these big earrings on, and I'm like bouncing a biggie. <laughs> it, just, it was, yes, I felt like a fool. I would die to see a picture. You got a picture no, of that? No, no, no. Oh, I'm man, smart enough not to keep so pictures of awesome those kind of things. To see a picture of your hoop earrings. Well, guys, did you just hear her? The last time she felt like a fool was two years ago. I feel like a fool every day. How about you? And parents, don't you feel like sometimes your kids treat you like a fool? All right, sometimes I feel like my kids do that all the time. You see, this past winter, we had a terrible snowstorm. Kids missed so much school this year. In, in the city of Leonia, they, they used up more days than they allotted for snow days. And so because the kids had more days off this year than they had allotted for, they had to make a decision, our Board of Education. Do they extend the school year to the end of June, or do they have school on Good Friday? That was their decision. That was the choice that they had to make. Well, they decided to go with the latter, and they decided to have school on Good Friday. And so my kids come to me on Monday, all three of them, and they say, Dad, we want to stay home on Good Friday. And I said, no, you can't. You have to go to school. And they said, but Dad, we need to stay home on Good Friday. I said, why? And Christina, who's 16, says, because Jesus died on that day. <laughs> I want to stay home, and I want to remember the death of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I said to myself, girl, you're playing me for a fool. <laughs> what you doing? She kept saying it, so I said, stop talking about it. I need time to think, and so I did. It took me three or four days to decide, and my girls decided to come out to Holy Week every day for the Holy Service at 6 a.m. in the morning. They got up, they went, and then by Thursday I said, okay, guys, you can stay home on Good Friday because you showed that you really had a heart for really opening your heart for God and preparing yourself for this week so you can do that. And I don't know, Pastor Sinita, do you think they played me for a fool? Yes. <laughs> That is typical pastor kid behavior, and they played you for a fool. But seriously, Jesus takes the foolish things of this world, and he brings them front and center. Let's look at the disciples. The disciples were essentially the rejects of society. Every parent hoped that their son would be chosen to study under a rabbi. But the disciples hadn't been chosen until Jesus came around. And we know this because they had regular jobs like average people. They were fishermen and they were tax collectors. And I mean, really, who wants to be a tax collector? 
And, and just like today, no one really appreciated them, but Jesus spent time with and he healed those people who the world would consider foolish or of no consequence. The lepers and the widows, the women, Samaritans, demon-possessed people, children. These people were oppressed and marginalized, and yet Jesus brought them from the margins and brought them to the center. And if you think about it, the story of Jesus is foolishness itself. Why would God come and die for us? How can someone who professes to be God even die? God can't die. Then there's the resurrection. How can someone who is dead resurrect to life? It sounds like foolishness. And what we realize on this Easter, on this April Fool's Day, is that the foolishness in the world's eyes is brilliance in God's eyes. Amen. That someone would live for you, then die for you, then show his awesome power and authority by resurrecting for you, it sounds like foolishness. But it's all God, and it's all for us. And because of what Jesus has done on this Easter, we want to talk about how we can become fools for God. If you would join me in our scripture reading, we are looking at Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. If you have your Bibles, or you can look on your phone or on the monitors behind us. Luke chapter 4, chapter 24, excuse me, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we thank you that you see as brilliance those things the world would call foolish. Thank you for using us in spite of ourselves. Now, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come, that your word would go forth and penetrate hearts and minds, and that we might all be transformed. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in the name of the risen Savior. Amen. Amen. When we talk about being a fool for God, it doesn't mean that when God looks at you, he sees you as a fool. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. In fact, the world considers some things that are foolish, but God, if you're willing to embrace it, 
It actually is brilliant in his eyes. And on this April 1st, which is April Fool's Day, it's just ironic how this sort of happened today on this Easter. Um, we need to know that in the Bible, the word fools or foolish is actually a very popular word in God's economy. And so can you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 25? Let's just kind of establish this because our goal on this Easter Sunday is to be a fool for God. Amen? Amen. Because if you and I can embrace us upside down sort of scale in which how God works, because in God's economy... What he considers brilliant, the world considers foolish. And we need to understand that and realize that. So it's okay to be a fool for God because in God's eyes, that's brilliant. So look at what it says in verse 21 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. In God's economy, when you and I embrace the things that the world considers to be foolish, we are actually embracing brilliance in God's eyes. Now, when you think about this, in the culture in which you and I live in today, it's very difficult for us to embrace things that we would consider to be foolish. Because in many ways, foolish is oftentimes a sign of weakness. And so a lot of us, when we think about things that are foolish or, th or people who we consider to be fools, we often see them as people who are quite weak. And in a society in which you and I live in today, where we embrace our strengths all the time, it's very difficult for us to be in a place where we are willing to be fools for God. But if, on this Easter Sunday, in order for us to do that, we have to be willing to embrace this foolishness that God calls brilliance. Now, to get a grasp of the story of, of this resurrection, of, of Easter, you and I have to understand how a typical first century Jewish man and a woman viewed the resurrection. Their understanding of the resurrection was that everyone would resurrect together at the same time. That was a typical first century Jewish person's understanding of the resurrection. Therefore, when Jesus talked about resurrecting from the dead, they never dreamed that that would happen in three days. They believed that it would happen all together, all at once. And so that's why when the woman came to them, they didn't believe what they were saying. Because their theology of the resurrection was that it would all happen together. And that's why they scattered. Because they didn't believe that a Messiah would actually die. Because in their understanding of the Messiah is that the Messiah would never die. And so when the woman came before them and told them that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, they didn't believe them. It's not that they didn't have faith. They didn't necessarily lack faith. They believed in how a typical Jewish person believed the resurrection to be. Nobody ever thought, ah, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, ah, don't worry about it. He'll be back in three days. Nobody thought that, even though he taught it. Nobody believed it. Nobody ever would say, hey, at least he's with heaven with God. No. That wasn't the kind of kingdom that Jesus taught them. Because Jesus taught them, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. All right. The cross, when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, it was the worst form of capital punishment in the first century. Today, I bought my daughters like, you know, a cross necklace, cross earrings. Because the cross has a very spiritual symbolic meaning today, doesn't it? But in the first century, it didn't. If you wore a jewelry that had a cross on it, people would think you're crazy. It's like if I brought my daughters a sort of a, a earring of electric chairs. Why would people put that on them? Why would people sell it? Like, rather than a cross, it's like we would have an electric chair right here in the corner. It was just odd because the cross was Rome's thundering statement that if you mess with us, 
we will obliterate you in the most powerful, most inhumane way. That was what the cross represented. Therefore, crucifixion meant that the kingdom hadn't come, not that it had. Crucifixion of a would-be Messiah meant that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, not that he was. When Jesus was crucified, every single disciple and everyone who believed in Jesus Christ knew that they had backed the wrong person. And that's why when these ladies came up and told them that Jesus Christ has resurrected from the dead, they didn't believe him. They just didn't. And what we learn in the story of the resurrection is that foolishness in the world's eyes is brilliance in God's eyes. And so how can we be a fool for God? How can we be a fool for God, Pastor Sunita? If we want to be fools for God, the first thing we need to do is embrace nonsense. Embrace nonsense. I know it sounds crazy, but embrace nonsense. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. The apostles did not believe the women when they said that Jesus was not in the tomb, that he had risen. The disciples had such a hard time believing the women that the Bible says they considered the women's words nonsense. Well, did you know that this is the only time in the entire Bible that the word nonsense is used? It's not used when people saw Noah building an ark. It wasn't used when Jonah was spit out of a fish. It wasn't even used when Balaam's donkey began to speak. But some reason here now when the women are proclaiming the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the word that is used is nonsense what makes this even more remarkable was that what the women were describing was actually just what Jesus said would happen anyway they were just proclaiming that what Jesus had said was true and it actually happened So why didn't the disciples and the others believe the women? As Pastor Peter said, it wasn't because they lacked faith. But women, I think we intuitively know why they didn't believe them. And we know how it feels. Many of us, particularly women, have experienced a time when what we said has been considered nonsense or it's been dismissed. It's happened to me on several occasions. One Sunday I was preaching, and it wasn't at Metro. I promise you, it wasn't at Metro. I was preaching somewhere, and a woman came up to me after service, and she said, I had been taught my whole life that women should not preach. And she said, in fact, if I went to church and I saw that a woman was scheduled to preach, I would leave worship. But on this particular Sunday, and only the Holy Spirit knows why, she decided to stay. And she spoke with me after service with tears forming in her eyes. She said, this is the first time I had heard the gospel message preached so clearly. And the first time it had touched my heart so deeply. Now, even though this woman's upbringing was ultimately challenged, what she tells us is that so often it doesn't matter how many degrees you have or how much experience you have, that some men and even some women won't believe the words of a woman. Mm. It is considered nonsense. Mm. 
Unfortunately, our culture is steeped in sexism and paternalism, and it was even worse in the Greco-Roman world. If we go back to the first century, we know that women were heavily oppressed. They had no voice in society. They were bound to the men in their lives, either their fathers or their husbands or their sons. But these women, these women who came to the tomb were extraordinary women. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and the other Mary, the mother of Jesus, had been followers, mother of James, excuse me, had been followers of Jesus since very early in his ministry. If you go back and you look in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, you will see them listed, as well as some other women, as providing for Jesus and the disciples out of their own resources. Yet despite their relationship with Jesus, and no doubt their relationship with some of the disciples, the disciples didn't believe them. But this is exactly why we can believe the words of these women in 2018. What the disciples first thought was nonsense. Because women had such a lowly place in society, no one would dare to consider them witnesses to anything. Mm -hmm. They were considered uncredible, authority. And yet it is the experience of the women that is recorded in all four Gospels. If you go back and you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they show that the women were the first at the tomb. And if you wanted people to believe an outlandish story like the resurrection, you might go find a nice, respectable man like Pastor Peter, and you'd say that he was at the tomb first. So why would we trust something as important to our faith as the resurrection to the witness of women, unless it were true. That's right. That right. indeed, what the women had to say, what the disciples first thought was nonsense, was true. That even now in 2018, we can embrace what was considered nonsense, what seemed so impossible, so improbable, so outlandish, so utterly foolish, such nonsense Amen. to the world is true. Amen. Jesus is alive. Jesus Hallelujah. is the risen Lord and Savior, just as he said he would be. Now, if you have a relationship with God, you know that sometimes God continues to say some foolish things to you, some things that are considered nonsense. When God called me into ministry when I was in law school, it <laughs> sounded like nonsense to me. Yes, it did. <laughs> and to my father. <laughs> <laughs> and we know that when we have a relationship with God, God will sometimes tell us, go talk to this person. Take this particular route to work. Go be a part of that, that event, that activity. And you might say, God, this is nonsense. But what we learn is that once we start doing what God has called us to do, he takes us down a path where we realize it's all a part of his plan. So we ask you this morning, what is God saying to you now that you think is nonsense? Do you think this message is nonsense? Do you find it hard to believe the promises that God has made over your life? The things that he said about you, that you are his beloved, that you are his very own, that he died just for you, that he rose just for you? Does it seem like nonsense to you? Well, let these women be an example to embrace 
the nonsense. Be a fool for God this morning by embracing what the world calls Amen. nonsense. Well, Pastor Sunita, you got you to help me to understand as a man, what is it about women that, I mean, just, I guess Jesus saw it as well. Why were they so faithful? Well, the technical reason is because women are just better, right? <laughs> <laughs> But honestly, I think sometimes women are able to go some places emotionally that men are not always willing to do. I think that's really important for us to see that because I think sometimes women are willing to go emotionally to certain places that maybe men are afraid to go. Because we live in a culture today really where as a man, we are to embrace a warrior-like mentality. And sort of going there emotionally sometimes can really be a sign of weakness. And in our culture today, because it's such a masculine culture, this idea of processing our emotions is something that's very foreign to us. And it really does look like nonsense. And part of us getting to this next place of being a fool for God is that we have to learn to embrace the nonsense. Because the second one is really important. Because as we embrace the nonsense, you know what's going to happen? We're going to start embracing wonder. We're going to start wondering a lot more. And this is a key component here in this passage that we cannot miss. Look at verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. It is safe to say that these two men are angels from heaven. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? This is such a key component here. These women were able to wonder, and as they grew in wonder about God, their curiosity, they learned more about God. You see, the nonsense in our lives sometimes can actually be pains failures, losses that we've endured in our lives. It's one way in how we have to learn to embrace the nonsense. The world considers that to be nonsense, and so if it is nonsense, then we're not going to embrace this idea of remembering. Understand the progression here of what happened to these ladies. They decided to embrace their pain by how? By grieving. They didn't stay away. They didn't, like the disciples, they didn't stay in their homes and just kind of deal with the reality of that. They went to the grave to what? To grief. They went there to grieve. They embraced the pain of that. And as they went there to grieve, they began to wonder because the body wasn't there. And the angel, God, reveals himself and says, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Do you understand that when you and I can offer a place in our lives, a space where we can grieve our pains, our losses, our hardships, the things that we've endured in our lives, when we can give ourselves the opportunity to grieve those moments, we will grow in deep wonder, curiosity in who God is, and God will reveal himself to us. Amen? Amen. That's the hope of Easter. Look at what it says in Hebrews 5.7. This is so important here. This is a key verse that you need to hone in on here. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. This is the account of what Jesus went through at the Garden of Gethsemane. We talked about that on Monday this past week during Holy Week. And when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was grieving at such a level, he was in such anguish that in Luke's account it says that he was sweating droplets of blood. And if you are a physician here, you know that if we are in a state of anguish at such a high level, we've reached our maximum capacity of grief, 
we can actually medically sweat droplets of blood. It says here that his prayers were heard because of his reverent submission. What does that teach us about grieving? If you and I allow ourselves to grieve, we are reverently submitting to Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're putting, your, you're putting your, yourselves in a place of weakness so that you could depend upon someone who's not weak, mm -hmm. and that's God. Amen. You see, when you go through hurts and when you go through losses in your life, you have to learn to grieve. You have to learn to become weak so that you can embrace the strength of God. And that's what Jesus did at Gethsemane. He wept. He grieved. And by God, if Jesus can grieve, if our God can grieve, then what's holding you back on this Easter Sunday from grieving? Some of you have gone through some serious losses in your life. Some of you have gone through some serious setbacks and failures. And some of you are not even human today because you have not allowed yourself to experience the emotions that God has afforded you to, to experience. You've denied it because you think it's nonsense to do it. And so as a result of that, you haven't grown in wonder. You don't know who this God is. And the beautiful thing about Easter is simply this, is that when we can afford ourselves to grieve like the women did, we will begin to wonder and God will begin to reveal himself and he will make what we've gone through beautiful in a way because of his love for us. That's the beautiful story of Easter, that God is willing to do that. But for a lot of us, when we go through hardships, what do we do? We numb our pain, don't we? We decide to just kind of forget about it by maybe getting drunk, doing some drugs, having some meaningless sex, whatever it might be for you to numb what you're going through. And if you've been there, I get it. I've been there. Some of you love to sort of escape, don't you? You go home and you don't want to think about anything, and so you just watch TV for like eight hours before you go to bed. You just want to escape and not have to think and process the grief that you kind of feel in your heart and you will not allow it to travel to your mind because you feel like it's a bunch of nonsense to do so. And perhaps maybe the church has not helped you in that way as well. The church is horrible in this area of helping you to grow and wondering. They're horrible in helping you to embrace the nonsense of losses and hurts that you might have sustained in your life. I had a friend and when she was 11 years old, her father died in a car accident. And when she was mourning at the funeral, you know what her pastor told her? Stop crying. Be happy. Your father's in heaven with Jesus. That's the advice that the church is offering people who have gone through some serious loss in their lives. And so maybe perhaps today you have seen, because you've been a part of the church, that whenever you go through hurts and pains, you think that you have to over-spiritualize it in a certain way so that you can kind of forget that it even exists. And you've never afforded yourself the opportunity to grieve certain losses in your life. And it's no wonder why you've never grown in your understanding of God. Easter teaches us that in the midst of things that look like death in your life, God can breathe life into it over time. Yes. And it can look so beautiful and amazing if you allow him to. Amen. And so on this Easter Sunday, will you grieve? Will you grieve so that you can grow in wonder? And as a follow-up, the third thing we must do after we embrace the wonder through grieving is to 
embrace the pursuit. Embrace the pursuit. Looking at verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying beside themselves, and he went away wondering what had happened. Now, even though the disciples, for the most part, didn't believe the women, Peter pushed into his grief. He pushed into the wonder, and so he had to go see if what the women said was true. He had to see it for himself. And so when he gets to the tomb, he finds that the strips of linen that had been used to wrap around Jesus' body, they're there, but there is no body there, Mm. that Jesus is gone. You know, Peter is my favorite disciple. Mine too, and that's why my name is Peter. (laughs) No, it's really not. Actually, you know why my name is Peter? Because, you know, I got to pick my own name. Uh, my father was getting me naturalized. He says, what do you want your name to be? And I thought, okay, I was living in Queens at the time. And the coolest guy in my neighborhood was this Chinese kid, and his name was Peter. And so I said, Dad, I want to be Peter. Could you name me Peter? And that's how I got the name. <laughs> well, this, you lived up to your name. You're pretty cool, too. Thank you. Um, but the disciple Peter is my favorite because he is impulsive and he's flawed and he kind of has this all-in mentality. He's the kind of disciple you want with you when people start messing with you because he'll just slice a man's ear off and not even blink. It's great. It's great. And he's the one that has such a heart for Jesus that he will declare Jesus as the Messiah. He will say, I will go with you even to death. But because he's flawed like all of us, he will deny him three times. But Peter is also curious. And he had enough faith, even just a mustard seed size perhaps, that made him think maybe, just maybe, what these women were saying is true. Or at the least, he needed to see for himself. Peter was willing to take the risk to pursue his curiosity to see if what the women said and ultimately what Jesus himself had said was true. Jesus told the disciples on multiple occasions that he must be handed over, killed, and on the third day he would rise again. Destroy this temple, he said, Mm -hmm. and I will raise it up in three days. Peter needed to know if what Jesus said was true. He embraced the pursuit. Now, I know that there are some of you here who have doubts. This can't be real, you think. You're here because someone asked you to be here. You either owe them a favor or they promised to feed you afterwards or something, (laughs) right? Um, And I know there's some people here who are curious. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about churches. You may even be someone who was grieving in your relationship with God grieving your relationship with the church. Well, let me say that we are glad that you're here today. Embrace the pursuit. Peter didn't just take the words of the women. He had to see for himself, and I'm glad he did because he reminds us that it's okay to see for yourself. It's okay not to believe everything you hear. It's okay to investigate it for yourself. Oftentimes, we can become really lazy and we just give up. But embrace the pursuit. If you have questions about Jesus, go for it. Read the Word of God. Talk to a pastor. Pray to God and allow him to open up the mysteries of his Word to you. Allow him to reveal himself to you. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
it means that God is willing to answer your questions. He's willing to get there in there with you in the grief and help you through it. But the Bible also says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I love that verse because it's as if Jesus is saying, try me, try me, and you will see, you will conclude that I am good, that my presence is good. Amen. And yes, you may, it may seem like a risk. Peter was willing to push into it and take it nevertheless. He had already been disappointed. Jesus was dead. And now he was taking the risk that if he went to the tomb, it might actually be true. But he did it anyway. He went and he took the risk. He found out that it was all true, just as the women had said. So embrace the pursuit to find out about Jesus for yourself. And if you're already a Christian, rediscover him once again. Pursue new and deeper relationships with him. Let your questions take you deeper into prayer and to Bible study, to reconnect you with friends and relationships, to serve the church and the community. And the best part about it is that it's never a risk with God. God has been pursuing you from the very beginning. He wants you. Before we recognized who he is, he loved us. He lived for us. He died for us. And he rose again for us. And he stands here with arms wide open, waiting for you to run back to him. Embrace the pursuit on your way back to God. Amen. Understand the progression here. Because the progression, is, the progression is really important because our goal is to be brilliant in God's eyes. And that many ways we have to be willing to be fools in the world's eyes in order for us to do that. And understand this progression of embracing the nonsense. Then it leads us really to get to a place where we can begin to wonder. And that area of growing and wondering helps us, especially as we are willing to grieve certain pains and things that we're struggling with in life. And then this idea of embracing pursuit. It gives us the desire to want to do that. And then after we're willing to do that, then what the fourth thing is that we can embrace remembering. You see, embracing the pursuit is allowing you and I to be intentional about remembering. Now, what are you and I to remember? Well, it's interesting that you would say that. Look at verse 6 here. Look at verse 6. It says that he is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Understand, whenever an author of the Bible repeats a certain word, he's trying to drive the point home that that's an important word that you and I need to pay attention to. And you and I have to get to a place where we can embrace remembering. Meaning we have to set ourselves in a place where we can intentionally remember who God is and where we stand before God. If we don't intentionally set time to remember that and be intentional about it, it's, we, we're really running a very dangerous place in our lives. Remembering is a very important word for God. In fact, when he delivered the people of God out of Egypt, he said, for 400 years you've been in slavery. I have taken you out. I've set you free. So you now have to remember what I have done for you. Hence, the Passover is a very special holiday for Jewish people. Jesus was, with the, it was in the upper room with his disciples. And he, as he was up there, he broke bread and he was celebrating the Passover. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Remembering is a very important spiritual practice that you and I have to put in place. Because if we don't do that then you know what's going to end up happening? We're going to end up listening to the words 
of the world. You and I are going to end up listening to our own inner voices telling us things or the voices of other people, maybe family members that have said certain things to you that even till this day, no matter how old you're getting, you still hear those voices. No matter how old, no matter how old you're getting, you still lick the same wounds that family members have created on you and you lick them as if there's still fresh wounds in your life. Easter helps us to remember that no matter what we go through in life, we have a God who loves us so much that he came and died for us on the cross and he resurrected from the dead. So he teaches us that if you and I can intentionally remember, no matter what you're going through in your life, no matter how difficult your life might become, if you can intentionally remember who God is and where you stand before God, there's hope. Amen? Amen. There's hope, Metro. You see, intentionally remembering allows you to see who God is and allows you to accept where you stand before God. Do you know that on this Easter Sunday that you are sons and daughters to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Do you know that today? Do you believe in that truth? Because if you don't put yourself in a place where you're intentionally remembering that over and over again, you will forget. You will forget, especially as you go through some hardships in your life. And so you got to set yourself up in a place where you can intentionally remember. God reveals himself to these ladies through the angels, and they remember the very words of Jesus. So you and I have to understand that the best way in how we can remember is by intentionally reading and studying the word of God. Now, I know that sounds foolish, and I'll be honest with you. Even Christians think it's foolish to read the Bible. You know why I know it? Because very few of you are doing it. That's why I know it. And even as a Christian, we think it's foolish to read the Bible. And that's why so many Christians today are forgetting who they are. You're forgetting that you are royalty. That you are the child to the king of kings and lord of lords. Hold your head up high and know who died for you and resurrected from the dead. You've forgotten it because you don't read the word and you're not remembering what God has done. Man, Sunita, I'm in my mid-40s now and I forget and I don't remember anything anymore. (laughs) I mean, really, you're a lot younger than me. But like sometimes my wife will tell me I did something with her and I don't remember it. Even up until like a couple weeks ago. And I think she's maybe trying to manipulate me to do something because I don't remember. I just don't. I have a horrible memory. And if I don't intentionally remember, and how I do is I like to write things down that were important to me. If I don't do that, I just don't remember anymore. And if you don't intentionally sit down and read God's word, It's game over for you guys. This will just be a social thing for you. And that's the saddest reality. I would never want to be a Christian because socially it makes me feel happy. Do you know you're a child to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Who cares what your father said about you? Who cares what your mother or your uncle did to you? You're royalty. And you're going to have to start living like it. Talk to somebody this week who lost their wife to a tragic accident. I said, how are you doing? And he said, it's hard. But he said, but Pastor Peter, he said, I've been reading the Bible in the past four months more than I've ever read the Bible. He said, all my Christian life, I've never really read the Bible. But these past four months, I've been reading it. And as I've been reading it, God's helping me so much. I feel his presence in my life. You see, what is he doing? He's remembering who God is during this time of grief. He's remembering who he is before God. 
You see, it's foolish to do that when you're struggling. It really is. But God sees it as brilliant. Remembering God, remembering where you stand before him is a matter of life and death, I believe. Because when you look at Judas' betrayal, what happened? He didn't remember who he is. He didn't remember who God is. He could have asked God to forgive him, but because he felt like he betrayed Jesus so much, what did he do? He committed suicide, Metro. And the suicide is something that's so prevalent in our culture today. It's so sad. And I know that there's a lot of you in this room at one point or another in your life, you have actually contemplated taking your own life. Because you've forgotten who you are. You were brought with a price. Jesus died for you and resurrected from the dead. You were a child to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you forget that, if you forget that, there is no hope when you go through hardships in your life. Your depression will drive you mad. Peter remembered when he betrayed Jesus. He remembered that Jesus says, Peter, I pray that when you fall, you will be able to get back up and strengthen your brothers. Peter remembered that. And as a result, he forgave himself. And he knew who God is and he knew who he was before God. And he started the greatest movement this world has ever seen, which is the church. Will you remember today? Will you intentionally remember who God is and who you are before him? It can be a matter of life and death. Brennan Manning is one of my favorite authors. He's a Catholic priest. I've read almost all his books. I was able to sit under his teaching for about a week at a pastor's conference, and I learned so much about God's love, about his acceptance. I ended up picking up the ragamuffin gospel. I ended up picking up Abba's child. And it just impacted my life in such a huge way. Well, Brennan is an itinerant speaker, travels all over the world and speaks. And as he was getting older, he died a couple years ago. As he was getting older, it was really hard for him to have the energy to preach an entire day. Well, he shared at this particular conference where he preached several couple times. He said after the evening plenary session, he was so exhausted, he went back to his hotel room and he just fell face on his bed and he slept. Three o'clock in the morning, there was a knock on the door. And he wakes up and he opens the door and he sees a 78-year-old nun shaking. He says, sister, you want to come in? And so she does. She sits on a chair and then she starts crying uncontrollably. And Brennan says, you want to talk about it? She says, I've never shared this with anyone in my entire life. She said, it started when I was five years old. My father would crawl into bed naked and he would touch me there and he would make me touch him there. He said it's something that our family doctor told us that we needed to do so that we can get to know each other better. She said, Brennan, by the time I was seven, my father took my virginity. And by the time I was 12 years old, I knew of every sexual perversion you would read in those dirty magazines. She says, Brennan, do you know how filthy I feel right now? Do you know how dirty I feel every day? Do you know how much hatred I have towards my father and towards myself? She said, I don't feel right taking communion. The only time I would ever miss communion or I would take communion is when my absence would seem a little bit conspicuous. Brennan prayed for her. And after he prayed for her, he said, hey, sister, would you do me a favor? Would you do this for the next 30 days? Will you go wake up 30 minutes before you have to? 
Will you find a quiet place, sit on a chair and open your palms like this and say these words, seven syllables, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. Abba is an Aramaic word. It's an informal way of addressing father, more of an intimate language that a child will use with their father. In the Korean language, we have that too. There's a formal way of addressing your father, and that's Abaji, but the informal way is Appa. And that's kids will do that because they're so close with their dad. They'll say, Appa, Appa. And so Brennan says, when you approach God, say, Abba, I belong to you. He says you have to do that because for so many of us, we know with our minds that maybe we are children of God, but we don't believe it with our heart. And so when we say those seven-syllable prayer, when we say that seven-syllable prayer, he said it has an opportunity to really impact and transform our lives. So he says, will you do that for the next 30 days? She said that she would. And two weeks later, he gets a letter from her. And he says it was one of the most moving and poetic letters that he had ever received. And in that letter, this 78-year-old nun talked about the inner healing in her heart and peace that she was able to experience as a result of her saying those seven-syllable prayer, Abba, I belong to you. She said her wounds were being healed. Her addictions were being delivered. And she said, basically, she ended her letter like this. She said, a year ago, and I quote, I would have signed this letter with my real name and title, which is Sister Mary Genevieve. But from now on, I'm just daddy's little girl. <laughs> Metro Community Church, on this Easter Sunday, do you know that you're daddy's little girl? Do you know that you're daddy's little boy? This woman, for seven decades of her life, a spiritual nun, lived her life in horror and terror, hating herself, hating her father, not being able to love because hate was so strong. In just two weeks, it took her only two weeks for her to experience healing. Why? Because she remembered who God is. Because she remembered who she is before God, that she belongs to her Abba, that she is daddy's little girl. My hope for you on this Easter Sunday is that you would be able to be brilliant in the eyes of God, and to be brilliant means that you have to be a fool in the world's eyes. Will you embrace the nonsense? Will you grow in wonder? Will you embrace the pursuit? And will you intentionally remember who God is and where you stand before him, that you truly are your Abba's child. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer.